When it comes to ministering to hurting people, we must handle them with care. Pastor Ed Ray explains. People are fragile. You were stressed. You were wounded. You were beaten. Those from Thessalonica. Paul says, I came to you and I handled you carefully. I was very careful with who you were. Psalm 147, he, God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing, hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. It's been said that what the church needs today is not better machinery or methods, but better men and women. For God doesn't anoint methods, but ministers. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Last time we began looking at our calling as ministers of the gospel, and we'll continue in that theme of ministering to people and to do so with great care, like a nursing mother, but also like a loving father. Again, always emphasizing the gospel, beginning on that point from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Here's Pastor Ed. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, he keeps talking about the gospel, have you noticed? Even so we speak, not as pleasing, but, but, but God who tests our heart approved means to be tested and allowed to be found qualified when you give your heart to the lord then he gives you the great privilege of the words of eternal life you get to share with people that god loves them and wants them to spend eternity with them and you can say that with all the conviction all the power of truth for eternity you get to represent god as ambassador and say you believe in Jesus and he'll forgive your sins and take you all the way to heaven. Is that like the privilege of all times? So Paul wanted to keep that honor of sharing the good news with others in front of them. It was the main thing I did. Verse 5, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. As you know, there's you know again because you saw it. Nor a cloak for covetousness as God is our witness. You know it and God knows it. Never once did we try and win you over with flattery. You didn't play differently to people with money than people without money. Paul never tried to butter up anyone or any way you want to say it. Flattery disarms people, but it also is phony. Paul says, I, I didn't do this to make friends with people and then get their money, nor did I use it to covet things, uh, to want what they have. Now, what he's saying back then and to this day, there are people who want to represent God for money. That's their driving motive. I had a guy come to me a while back, and it still just rings in me, who said, somebody told me you're a pastor, is that right? I said, yeah. He said, how can I become an evangelist? I said, well, that's an interesting question. Why do you ask? because I knew there was something not quite right the way he said it. He said, well, a friend of mine told me that if I got a tent and I went around as an evangelist, I could make $10,000 a day. Really? I should buy a tent with you. <laughs> no, I said. 
that's horrible. You want, you're telling me you want to use God so you can make money? And then I thought, you know, I know quite a few guys I'm suspicious of. That's why they became pastors. Because they didn't want to work. They said, you know, you only have to work one day a week. If you're a pastor, you talk for an hour, and that's all you have to do. Really? And you make all kinds of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I left the hospital in biochemistry, so I could make all this money here. <laughs> Third cut and pay, and yeah. Got nothing to do. I'm bored stiff, you know, six days of the week, and there's only one you have to work. No, 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 no. That's what Paul is talking about. People coveting some kind of position so they could make money off of God. Oh my goodness, you're going to stand before him someday and say that? Verse 6, nor did we seek glory, being famous, nobility from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So let me put this back on you and I, because he's really talking about himself, but he's talking about our motive for telling people about God. And he's saying, I didn't do it so that people would think better of me. In fact, the result was usually that people thought worse of Paul, but he did it to be a servant, to be other-centered, to give away his faith to people that desperately needed it but didn't realize it. And that's a summary of today. You and I are surrounded by people every day who are on a path straight to hell, Yes, we use the H word here, it's okay. Who are on a path to hell and they don't realize it. Just like you and I were on a path to hell and we didn't realize it, or some of us did and didn't care and we're going anyway. So Paul is saying, my motive was to pull people out of the fire. That's kind of a crude way to say it, Pastor. I don't think so. I think it's very accurate when you just remove Everything down to reality of there's only two places to spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking. And I prefer the non-smoking. I don't need to explain that. You understand. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Wow. This, I believe, is one of the most startling verses in the New Testament for Paul's heart and God's heart and what's supposed to be your and my heart. He uses the word gentle only here in one other place in the New Testament, in Timothy. It's epios, and it means mild, and it means just like what it sounds like. People are fragile, is what he's saying. You were stretched, you were wounded, you were beaten. Paul says, I came to you and I handled you carefully. I was very careful with who you were. Psalm 147, he, God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The description of the Messiah found in Isaiah 42, of course, was about Jesus, written 600 years before he came. It's in Matthew 12, 18. Here's the description of Jesus. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, whom my soul is well pleased, God is talking about, God the Father is talking about God the Son, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice shouted in the streets. He wasn't a crier, a town crier. Then the line, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering flax 
he will not quench. So the description of Jesus is that he's not going to be loud and obnoxious. And when he meets people who are like a bent reed, he won't break them off. Okay, so in Israel, there's what we would call bamboo. They call it reeds and because they're, you know, couple thousand years, four thousand years older than we are here in America, we'll go with their name. Reeds are still used for musical instruments. You play a saxophone, a clarinet, there's a reed, and it's made from bamboo, made from a reed. Some of the various penny whistles that Kim plays are, are made from reeds, from bamboo. What happens by all the rivers and still water in Israel is all these bamboo forests grow up, reeds, like our Santa Ana wash. And, and if you walk through them and push them out of the way, or an animal does, you bend them over. And what he's saying is people are bent reeds, that stuff happens in life that nobody planned for. It comes at you, broadsides you, and leaves you spinning. I was just talking with a young man, a good friend of mine who had moved several years ago. I don't want to embarrass him. He's in this service, so I'm not looking at him. But he went through a lot of physical things from an accident at work, and he had a really difficult time. And I watched this young man become a man of God in front of me. He just kept getting up and in pain, taking care of his family, and he exercised faith in God every day. And I wept with him, I prayed with him, and just loved him like a brother. And that's something totally unplanned for, that you almost get killed at work. You get in a car accident and you lose a limb, or you lose a child, or you find yourself struggling with a divorce that you never planned on, and you're alone now, and you're going, how in the world did that happen? or you lose someone you love, the worst of all, suicide, and it just throws you. You're bent. Jesus comes, and he straightens you up, and he binds up the brokenhearted. Second picture is the smoking flax he will not quench. So you've seen those little clay oil lamps from Israel. Two holes, large one you pour the oil in, little one for a wick to come out. And they use flax, and, and we use modern wicks, like a candle wick. And they put the oil in it, they light it, and then if you forget about it, the flame burns down. And then the wick itself just goes to a little glow. And God's saying that the Messiah, Jesus, wouldn't quench, just squeeze that wick, and put out anyone who's barely hanging on. You're here this morning and barely hanging on, you're in the right place. Because you are a child of his who is gentle. And he'll bring you back. He'll do miracles in your life to restore you. And you'll be a better, bigger, broader person than you ever were before because you allowed God to take you through that. And other people will be able to learn from you because of the difficult things that you went through. Oh, I'm not saying I like them either. I try and avoid all the pain I can. But the reality is, is the painful times in my life were the ones where God injected truth into my heart. 
This is Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's been drawing insights from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 on God's work in us and then through us. With more on the ministry to others, once again, here's Pastor Ed. A smoldering wick he will not quench. And he'll build it up. That's the gentleness that Paul is describing in himself because he was emulating Jesus and the thing he wants you and I to do with other people. Is you don't push him out of the way like Reeves, trying to get to a drink of water. You stop and you go, whoa, wait a minute. That person's struggling. I need to spend some time. Then the next picture is even broader. As a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now, I don't know of a tenderer part of humanity than that. Two daughters and a wife who, who nurtured both our daughters. And, and it's just a picture that you go, oh my goodness. Paul says, that's the way I took care of you Thessalonians. I gave myself to you. Now, flip that around a moment as you and I are giving to other people. You can't give to people if you're a mother what you haven't taken in. In other words, a mother who's nursing has to be very careful about her health, going through pregnancy and the nursing time. You have to eat correctly, you have to get enough rest, light exercise, and you have to be available 24-7, right? How do you do all that? But the picture here is of you and I sharing with other people. We have to take care of ourselves. You have to get enough rest. You have to get enough vacation. You have to eat right so that you can be a servant of God. That's all part of this witness Paul is talking about. So the picture here of a nursing mother has within it some responsibilities for you and I, that we would be feeding ourselves so we can feed others. You can't give what you haven't taken in yourself. And that we would be this gentle person like Jesus, like a mother taking care of a child. Jesus was that way. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And then he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. When I was little, my grandfather was still alive and he had a chicken ranch up in the Calamesa. He was a New York attorney. And after World War II, he decided he would come to California and get rich raising chickens. And he lost it all. But he was a solid guy. But I remember his chickens. And what amazed me about the chickens is when it rained, the, the mother chicken, we have these little chicks running around, she would say something in chickenese. And, uh, <laughs> and it sounded just like the thing she said all the time, but there was something different about it. it had a little accent in her voice or something. Because then all these little chicks that had been scurrying all around, they go, <laughs> and she holds her, her wings out like this, and it's raining. And then she starts moving towards the barn. And they're all, you know, doing this with <laughs> working their way along with her. And they get into the barn dry. That's the care of a mother for their chicks. And that's the care that Paul had for these Thessalonians. It's the care that Jesus gives to you. And it's the care that he wants you to give away to others. There's a summary of this whole set of verses. All right. Verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. Now, I said this section, these three verses are all still about Paul being a mother. That's what mothers do. They give their own lives. They would gladly give their own lives for their children. So his affection, his love for these Thessalonians 
was like a mother willing to sacrifice her life for them. He would gladly have given up his own life for those who were born again. Verse 9. For you remember, still talking about a mother, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. Sound familiar, ladies? Those of you that have had babies? Labor, toil, for laboring day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. He's talking about working during the day, sowing tents, and at night, preaching. Paul was careful to be like a mother giving birth in travail, but he took care of his own needs. Last section, like a father. You are witnesses, and God also. You saw how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. And he's going to use this picture of a father here, playing out in front of your children what a real man is, gentlemen, for those of you that are fathers here. And it requires, you know, moms tend to be softer, gentler, and dads tend to be, no, they got to do this because this is important. They got to do their chores, etc. Or maybe the role's reversed in your house because it's definitely not connected to chromosomes. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, here it is, as a father does his own children. Now, Paul didn't have children as far as we know. We do think he might have been married because members of the Sanhedrin, the high court, had to be married. But there's no record of his children. So he's speaking out of observation. So you may be saying, well, pastor, I don't know how this applies to me because I'm not a father. Well, Paul wasn't either in the genetic sense, but he was in the sense of in the spirit of people that he brought to Christ. I charge every one of you to do these things. I gave you these truths. I wanted you to see them. And so you received them. Now, we exhorted the word parakletos, come alongside means to encourage. We comforted, we persuaded, we helped you along, we charged you. We didn't hold back any truths that you needed, like a dad. Now, quick side note for you dads. I do a fair amount of counseling and I run into people who have a, a poor role model for a father. And for those of you that that's your circumstance, I'm sorry, I understand. I understand because although my dad was a solid, straight up guy, went to work every day, never heard him cuss, never smoked, never drank, faithful to my mom. His own dad died when he was nine and he had a real problem with showing affection, with talking to his kids. My dad finally told me that he loved me when I was 40 years old on my 40th birthday. And he said it through stammering lips. It was so hard for him to say it. Don't do that, gentlemen. Man up and tell your kids you love them. And don't be afraid to touch them. Give them a hug. Well, I got sons and I want them to be rough and tough. No, no, real men are confident in the relationship with God. The psychological journals are filled with with studies of kids who were messed up because their dad never told them they loved them and never hugged them. Stand in the line, put your hands on their shoulders like a man. You know, let him feel your strength. That'll help him learn to be a man. Real men are confident in their relationship with God and who they are. Man up, be a man. Okay, sorry. (laughs) That you would have a walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Grace, you grow in grace, Paul says, that your walk, the way your life is displayed to other people, would be worthy of the high calling God's given you. He does it. In fact, it says God who calls you, and it's a present participle. It's active right now. Now, God called me a long time ago, and he called me last year, and he called me again yesterday, and he's calling me today. That's what this says. He's calling you right now. This is active. 
He's in the process of calling you more into him. He's saying, come deeper into me. I have something more for you. It's a safe thing to say to any person, myself included. God's saying, come now, and I will help you, and I will take you deeper than you've ever gone before, and I will show you things that you've never seen before if you'll have confidence in who I am and give me God speaking, and give me all of yourself. Don't hold back, and I won't hold back. I'll give you everything. That's God's word about who Father God is to all of us. Now, the clear, I'll try and sum this up quickly. The, the clearest picture I see in Scripture of Father God is in Luke chapter 15. You know, uh, the prodigal son asks for his inheritance, goes and blows it all, and then working the pig side, decides to go home. And as he comes home, his dad is waiting on the, by the road and he sees him far off and he runs to him and he falls on his neck and he, and he weeps. But the prodigal son parable was told in my hearing by another young man who was an, a young missionary and he adjusted the story only slightly and, and not, it's an interesting insight into it. Maybe it'll help some of you see your father. So he went a little beyond the story and he said, the prodigal son, real change of heart, didn't happen when he decided to go home. That wasn't the moment where he really figured out what was going on. His change of heart didn't really happen when he got to where he could see his father's farm and his dad saw him and ran and and hugged him and kissed him. No, no, he said, the prodigal son's real moment of clarity came days later. And suddenly he looked at his dad and he realized that his dad's hair had turned white while he was gone. Those of you who are fathers understand exactly what I mean. A young man stopped me after the last service. He said, I didn't get it. He said, it's worry. It's concern. You look at our president. He had not black hair when he went into the office, and now he's got white hair because it costs a lot. Father God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that you and I might have eternal life. Okay, G. Campbell Morgan, closed with this, told a great story. Actually, uh, an encounter he had with a miner in West Virginia. A young miner, he heard him preach. He, he'd go preach anywhere. He had a doctor, and he didn't have, care where he preached the gospel. He's preaching to a bunch of miners after a day's work. And he said, God wants to forgive your sin, just come. And the young man came to him, face all black, and he said, it sounds to me too easy that I could be forgiven just like that. It sounds kind of cheap. Free? And here's their exchange. Morgan said, were you working in the mine today? How did you get out of the pit? The miner answered, well, the way I usually do, I got into the cage and it pulled me to the top. How much did you pay to come out of the pit? Asked Morgan. I didn't pay anything, said the young miner. Weren't you afraid to trust yourself to the cage? Was it not too cheap? The man replied, oh no, it was cheap for me, but it cost the company a lot of money to sink that shaft. Pastor Ed Ray, illustrating from the lesser to the greater, how much more we can trust the Lord who paid it all to save those who call on him. This is Grow in Grace. We're growing in grace through a study of 1 Thessalonians right now. For a CD copy of today's message, give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. 
That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. This month, we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's titled, The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? We'll find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today and we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. And please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Please consider helping us continue this ministry on this station of yours. Give us a call again, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. May God richly bless you as you grow in grace. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love.